0: Well, good morning. So good to be together. Well, anyone ever fear, feel fear or shame or guilt or pain or worthlessness? Ever feel alone? I do. I'm assuming these are all feelings that we've had in our life. And as we continue this series, I want to pull us into a chapter that has been important to me in my spiritual life. And i it's my favorite chapter in all of God's word because of when it was given to me, but also the amount of promises that are in this chapter. And so we're just going to go through a few of them this morning and try to understand why this chapter is my favorite. And it's Romans 8 to give you a, a little hint right now But before we get there, I just want to tell you why it was critical in my life. It was when I was first becoming a believer, and I started reading God's Word. And I started reading this book called In the Grip of Grace, written by Max Lucado. And at that time in my life, I grew up in a Christian home that loved me, and they showed me what it meant to follow Jesus. But I really saw Christianity as a bunch of rules. And I had no understanding of what grace was, what forgiveness was, what it meant to live under the promises of God. And so before we get to Romans 8, you have to go through the first few uh, chapters in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans was written to tell people about the power of of the gospel for salvation for all people. Like that's what it's written for and who it's written to is is anyone who will believe to Jews and to Gentiles. And then Paul goes on in Romans chapter one and he describes it since the beginning of creation, God made himself known through the creation to all people. So no man is without excuse to not to understand there was a God. And he goes on, but God, but people, humanity, lived under the things that, that they wanted to do. He left them alone, and so they began to rebel against God. Well, all of us re- rebelled against God in a variety of different ways, but he, it says in the Scriptures that he handed them over um, to their, their desires of this world. They were full of envy and murder, strife, deceit. They were gossipers, slanders, haters of God. I like this word here. It says they were inventors of evil. And I think about that in my own life. There's times when, man, I look at my heart and there was things that I have probably done that are pretty evil. Or even the thoughts that I've had in my heart. Because, you know, I see that uh, big herd of bicycle riders going by. Like, there's a part of me that just wants to nudge one, right? And just... I know, that's just the depra- the de- brokenness I am, or there's that, you know, big puddle, right? And you're driving along the street, like, who doesn't want to splash that? Pr- okay, I know you guys are all good people, but I am broken in who I am in my humanity. And then Romans chapter two goes on and says, not only do we, did people live this way, but then there are another group of people who would judge them and they would basically say, oh, my life is not as bad as that person. The things that I do aren't nearly as bad as what that person does. And so we kind of compare ourselves. So if you are not the one who's the hedonist, that's, you know, that's one sin, then there's the person who kind of judges everyone and says, oh, at least I'm not as bad as them. Well, then Romans 3 says, well, there's the person who just goes for it lives however they want there's another person who judges Romans 3 says well I'll just try to do enough good things to make up for the bad things that I do and so we get this picture of who we all are and why we desperately need Jesus because we also learn in Romans chapter 3 that says uh, that all of us have sinned against God and fallen short of his glory so no one no one is right in God's eyes without Christ and, and the wages of sin, it says in Romans 6, are death. So here we are as broken people who are inventors of evil, who rebel against God. And some of us compare ourselves to others. Others of us are like, if I just do enough good things, I'll be good. We hear this in our culture all the time that, hey, um, at least I'm not as bad as this or I'm, I'm not going to be separated from god i'm not going to go to hell because i'm not that bad of a person and what we really don't understand at the core of who we are we're sinful and we're evil and we need jesus and that's what romans 5 says is that we are while we were still sinners christ died for us and anyone who believes in the death and resurrection of christ shall be saved And so the book of Romans is a fascinating book because it has some critical therefore statements. So therefore in chapter 5, and then another big one in chapter 12 that you'll see if you would study the book of Romans. But here in Romans 8, there's this there is therefore. So this is the change, the turning point. So it's talking to those who are believers. That's a really important principle. So the Romans 8 and all the promises that we're going to talk about are for those who have trusted in Christ. So if you have placed your hope in the death and resurrection of Christ, then what we're going to talk about today are for you, the believers. I'm going to give us five, and and trust me, friends, there's probably 10 times as many in this chapter, but I'm going to give you five big ones and then it's just really easy to remember because you can count them on your hand, right? I like things like that because I'm not a super smart person. I need easy things to remember. So as we leave here today, you'll have five promises that you can hold on to that will give you confidence and insurance in what Christ has done for you. So the first one, here it is. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's it's a really important concept and something to understand is that you have been set free. So that's the first promise. That's what, what we really understand here is that I am free from shame and guilt there's no more punishment there's no more guilt that i have to hold on to there's no more condemnation for those who are in christ jesus this for me in my life was so powerful to hear because i resonated with what paul says is i felt like i was the chief of sinners That in my heart and in my life, I had done a lot of really bad things. The way I had treated people, the way I had talked about people, the way I had used people, just who I was, the things that I did, I was ashamed and embarrassed of who I was and how I lived my life. And I got to this verse, and I can remember reading it and just beginning to think about this, what it meant for my life, is that there was no more judgment There was no more punishment. There was nothing that I had done but everything that Christ had done so that I could be free from shame and guilt. This was an incredible freeing thing for me at that time in my life because I walked around embarrassed and um, humiliated because of the ways that I had been living in my life. And, and even after becoming a Christian, I found myself still living sinning, living with sin in my life. And it was frustrating. And if you go back a chapter to Romans 7, it's called the doo-doo chapter. You know, and every middle schooler would laugh at this point. But it's, it's I do not understand the things that I do Yet I continue to do them. I hate that I do them. I agree that the law is good, but I wish I didn't do these things anymore. And so even after we've become a follower of Christ, there's this tension of, man, I know these things are wrong because I know the law is good. Yet I continue to do them even though I don't want to do them anymore. And then we get to here, so before I was a follower of Christ, and even after I've been a follower of Christ, even after I've been following Christ for almost 25 years, this promise is incredibly freeing to me, that there is no judgment, no condemnation, that you are free, friends, that you are free from the law of sin and death, right? You're free from that, and so you get to hold on to this promise, I am free. It was it's like being trapped. You know, I don't I don't know if you had this experience, but I had some older friends that were bigger and stronger than me and they'd you know pin you to the ground, right? And back in that day they'd do the loogie thing, right? Where they'd you know have that little spit thing go down and they'd suck it up and sometimes it wouldn't work, right? And that thing would land on your and you were just trapped because they had their knees on your shoulders and you couldn't get out. And then when you finally broke free from that, there was like this, ah, I can live again. You know, I can get out of that and I don't have to take that spit on my face. But this is what it means to be a follower of Christ is you are free. You're not trapped anymore. You don't have to live in bondage from that sin that you've been holding on to. That low-lying black cloud of guilt and shame no longer lingers over those who are in Christ in Jesus. The penalty for my sin was paid on the cross, and so now I live in freedom. I'm no longer a slave to my sin. I'm no longer in bondage to my guilt. I am free. That's the hope that we have as we read Romans 8, 1 and 2, that there's... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So that's one, right? That you have been set free. You're free. That I am free from guilt and shame. Number two, and this is a big deal because many of us at times feel alone or we feel rejected or abandoned. That you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You've been set free and you are a child of God. The creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together calls you a child of God. Calls you a co-heir with Christ. So, we're going to skip down a little bit and we're going to skip to I guess verse 15. So, Romans 8:15 We're children of God. That is an incredible statement for us. We've been adopted in, grafted in, and we now have access to the Father. We have this intimate relationship with Him because of what He's done for us. The the, the word that's used here where He said, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. I want to help you understand that. This is like the first utterances of a kid. They would say, Abba, that's the first words that would possibly come out of their mouth. And, and for us, maybe it's dada or daddy. It's this intimate relationship saying, I know you. I love you. I'm connected to you. I love hearing it in some people's prayer lives where they will just have this, this incredible language with the Father. They just they just call him dada or daddy, and when you hear them praying, you just go, oh, that intimacy you have with the father is what is described here, is that we get to say, daddy, I need you. Like, daddy, and you are a child of God. You have access to the father with fearless intimacy with him. We have assurance that we belong to God, knowing that we val- we're we valuable to God, and that we are his childrens and co-heirs with Christ. Being co-heirs with Christ means that everything that's entitled to Christ is also entitled to us other than being worshiped, right? Those are the promises that we have and the security you should know is that you are a child of God. You're a child of God. Your identity is with the family of God and that you get to know that you are secure and you are should have full assurance of salvation knowing you are his child i don't know what that looks like in your family but just knowing who my dad is my earthly dad and saying man i'm so thankful that he's there for me and i have a great relationship and that he loves me and cares for for me i know that's not the picture of all of our families of our relationships with our parents But the picture here is this incredible connected relationship that you have connection to the Father, that you are a child of God and you are a co-heir with Christ. So the first promise is that you are free of shame and guilt. second one is you are a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. And the third one is that I am prayed for, By the Holy Spirit. Now, in quick glance, maybe that's not a big deal to you, but at times I feel weak, I feel confused, I don't know where to turn, I don't know what to do. And this promise that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf is not like. how sometimes when we come to church and you share what's going on in your life and you know, that friend has really good intentions and say, I will pray for you this week, right? And then they go on without their week and then they, they might forget or you might forget to pray for someone. In this promise, the, the Spirit is praying for us. And the reason why this is so important, it's found here in, um, I think it's Romans chapter nine, 8, verse 19. It says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willing because of him who subject it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves have been the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is the hope that we have. So so here's what has happened, friends, if you know the story of God. In the beginning, God created everything. And he said it was good, right? When he created creation, that was his original intent. It was good. But when mankind rebelled against God and sin and shame and guilt and separation entered into the world, things began to decay and fall apart. At that moment, death had entered into the world. And so creation is not going how God originally intended it to be. The death that we see, the decay that's happening, the creation is falling apart. Not just everything that we see, but us ourselves. And we wait eagerly for the the world to be restored i don't know if you feel that but i feel that all the time and that's that like cry in our heart where we say maranatha like come quickly lord jesus that we want the lord to come back because we're tired of enduring this world it's hard it's difficult it's 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 not how it was supposed to be and the, the cry of our heart of come quickly, Lord Jesus, is because he's going to restore it and make it right and make it new. And so that we would be able to be in the presence of the Lord in its original intent, in, in his original intent. And so then here we go. We continue on in, in, I guess, 26. It says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. According to the will of God that's what the Spirit's praying for you so you know those times when you don't know how to pray or you don't know what to pray for or things are going in a really tough direction you feel overwhelmed and overworked and undereducated and you just don't know how to get out of the situation or the pain is too much the grief is unbearable or the betrayal was too hurtful the Spirit, it says here, the Spirit groans with, with because what does the exact words say, say here? According to the Spirit of God, intercedes groanings too deep for words. He intercedes with groanings too deep for words. It's like the Spirit knows the pain and the heartache and He's interceding on our behalf so that He is communicating with the Father for us. The Spirit is praying for us. Later on in Romans 8, and we heard it read this morning, we also know that Jesus is the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us as well, right? Friends, I, I, I hope you understand that in our weaknesses, when we feel like we can no longer go on, the Spirit is praying for us. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit is praying. It's not a meaningless prayer. This is a prayer that is... For the will of God. This is an incredible promise. And as a believer, I am blown away about what this means for my life. What all these promises mean. That I am free. I no longer have to to live in guilt and shame. And for me personally, that's a huge one that changed my life. I am a child of God. And that position makes me live with confidence what Christ has done in the position I have when I feel overworked or I feel weak or overwhelmed, the Spirit is praying for me when I don't know how to pray for myself. And then we go on and we get to those, those verses that are maybe more well known. And I think about, um, oh man, the different things that we've all had to endure. And I, sometimes I feel like the world is against me or that there's nothing I can do that that seems to work out whatever i try seems to fail and i get to i guess here in 31 says this what shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us if god is for us who can be against us this promise is an incredibly important one to me and it's that i am valued Like, if God is for us, who can be against? God values me so much that he sent his son to restore relationship for me, for you, for anyone who believes uh, reconciliation can happen, that we can be restored back to God. So I am valuable. And to me, that's a big deal because I feel worthless a lot. And I am wired in a way that what I do matters. I remember when I went on my first sabbatical that Calvary allowed me to go on. and the first three weeks, you would have been amazing. They were actually the hardest three weeks of my life because I felt like I was no longer doing anything and being productive and achieving something. That I went into a really deep depression because I realized that I was finding my identity in what I did and what Christ had done for me, and it was a realization that was really hard to take because it began to see the like the dark parts of my heart, and I would have to work and do things, and and let's just be honest, it's how I still feel today, like if I'm not producing and if I'm not accomplishing something. I don't feel like I have value. If something doesn't go well, I fail, I feel worthless. If I feel like things aren't going well with my family or my wife, I feel worthless. But here's what I learn in this scripture if God is for me, why does any of that else matter? It's not what I do, it's what Christ has already done. Friends, Let that sink in. Hold that close to your heart. It's not what we do, but it's what Christ has already done. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God who justifies, who is the condemns? Christ, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's is indeed is interceding for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at what he did for you, so that you don't have to do anything. Because the work of the cross, the one who judges is Christ Jesus. He's the one who's giving you hope and freedom. And he's made you a child. He's praying for you. And he thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're so valuable that he gave him, he gave his son to die on the cross so that we can have life for eternity in him. These are the the needs that I feel like we all struggle with. Like there's, the, the, the guilt and the shame and abandonment and not feeling valued and worthless and we feel weak at times and Romans 8 continues to speak to it that hey, you're free from sin. You're free from shame and guilt. That you are a child of God. That you are prayed for. You are valuable. And the one that many of us know here at the end is this. What can separate us from from the love of christ so you are loved what can separate you from the love of christ this is probably the core need that we all want and desire is to be loved to feel that we are so special that someone would love us And christ's love is unconditional and nothing for those who are in christ jesus right who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? So hard times. So persecution. When I'm hungry, I don't have any clothes. Even when I die, Can that separate me That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing you do, nothing you say, nothing that you have, the way you've treated anyone else, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Can sickness, disease, can the government? Nope. Can the enemy? Nope. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God has promised this and God holds true to all his promises. And so we can leave here today being assured that nothing will be able to separate us from God's unconditional, never-ceasing, unstoppable love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. These five promises hold true for those who are in Christ Jesus that you are free from sin, or from shame and guilt. You are a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. That the Spirit is praying for you when you are weak and don't have words, it groans for you. That you are valuable and that, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that you are loved and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Friends, I go back to Romans 8 all the time because I want to make sure it's still in my Bible. I just want to make sure it's still there because the promises are so rich. We didn't even really get to the one that most people can rattle off, right, from, from thinking about it, right, which is Romans eight twenty eight. Anyone know it? Just say it. What is it? Right, And we know that all things work together for the good for the, and according to God's purposes, right? That's another one. That you can close your fist and hold your thing. God is always at work, and he's, he's at work. and not, He's not saying that all things are good. That's not what's being said here. But God is working towards the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Not all things that happen in our life are good. But God is at work in our life. For those who love Him are called. There's more and more if you keep reading and digging. I encourage you all week just to take Romans 8 and just to meditate it, meditate on it, read it, let it soak in and live with the confidence and the truth that are that are here in the scriptures for you. They're so good, they're so powerful, and they have changed i live and who i am not because of anything that i've done but what christ has done and because he died for me while i was still a sinner and because of the work that happened on the cross these are the hope that i have as i live my life let me pray for us as we continue to worship this morning father i thank you for your word I thank you for nuggets of scripture like this that guide us and direct us and are real. And so when we have emotions of fear and pain and shame and guilt and loneliness and worth truth embedded in your scripture that we can hold on to, Lord. And so Father, as we go from here today, I just ask that you would allow your truth to sink deep into our hearts so that we can conform to the likeness of your son, that we would know that we are free of of shame and guilt, that we we would know that we are your children and co-heirs of Christ, that we would know that your spirit is praying for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves and in our weakness, that we would know that we are valued and loved by you and nothing can separate us from your love. May your word penetrate our hearts deeply and may we live out of the overflow of those promises so a broken world who desperately needs you would see what a transformed life looks like, Lord. Father, I pray that you would go with my friends this week and that you would help them walk in your ways and live by your truths and conform to the likeness of Christ. In your name, amen.